Disclaimer. Alcohol is a psychoactive substance whose harmful use causes a high burden of disease and has significant social and economic consequences. The views shared in this episode are not in any way an endorsement of alcohol consumption responsibly or otherwise. Welcome to the Coffee First podcast, the home of conversations that inspire transformation and ignite purpose. I am your host, Che Macelli. Let's dive in. It's still Alcohol Awareness Month and welcome to part two of our Alcohol Awareness Month series right here on the Coffee First podcast. In this month, we will be discussing matters of alcohol abuse awareness and prevention along with some very special guests. In our last episode, we were privileged to have the amazing Juliet Murithi, the Managing Director of Africa Retreat Centers, join us for an insightful conversation on alcohol use disorder, the causes, the signs, and the Various treatments. If you haven't checked that out, then you definitely should. Today in part two, I will be doing a very special segment titled 10 questions for a former alcoholic. I did go on social media and ask people to submit questions that they would want to ask a former alcoholic. And those are the questions that I will be answering today. Let's go. Question number one, when and how did you become an alcoholic? I vividly remember the first time I had my first drink. I was 15 years old, I was in my senior fall vacation, and I was invited out to a club by a friend of mine who I went to school with at the time. And I do remember I went to the club and I really wasn't somebody who was familiar with drinking, but I remember I ordered for a non-alcoholic drink, which they did not have at the time. And so I was left with the option of something light, but something sweet because I was a sweet tooth. I was afraid of trying to indulge in the heavy stuff like beer or whiskey or gin because these are things that I saw my mom drink while I was growing up. And so I ordered the cider and by the end of the night I had had about 10 bottles of it or even more. And when I went home, I remember I passed out and when I woke up the next day, my head was pounding. My mouth was so dry. I was so dehydrated. But even in that state of being dazed, I reached for my phone and I called up my friend and I asked him, where are we today? And that day began what was the next 15 years of my battle with alcoholism. I did not know what particular point it was when alcohol became a problem in my life. But one thing I do know is if you want to know the particular signs of alcoholism, when you have unusual cravings for alcohol and the need to constantly indulge and to drink more than you usually do, that is when you know that alcohol is becoming a problem in your life. However, even when I was starting to work and when I was starting to what they call adult, I do remember I was faulting on my personal responsibilities at home as a daughter, at home as a sister, even at work. I was showing up at work late. Sometimes I would just skip work. And also I was having issues with my finances because I was constantly getting into debt because I wanted to always party. I was always looking for ways to finance my drinking habit. And that kept me in a cycle of debt. But it wasn't until 2015 or 2016, this was about 10 or 11 years into my alcoholism journey, when I understood that this issue might actually be a problem in my life, when I actually found myself homeless on the streets. And this is when I knew that it was an issue. But 
even then by this time i was wired to love alcohol because it's the only thing that i knew it was the familiar chaos that i loved and that's actually was my coping mechanism for the situation that i had found myself in question number two what was your choice drink interestingly when i started out i loved the more lighter drinks the sweeter drinks but as time went on when i began to build tolerance i started to look for harder things like beers harder things like liquor gin whiskey cocktails things like that because what I was used to was not giving me the high or the rush that I needed. And so as time went by, I built my tolerance. Unfortunately, tolerance builds when the brain adapts to the effects of alcohol, things like relaxation, when you're, you know, just chill. And over time, more alcohol is needed to achieve the same effect that you had when you started out drinking. And when people progress further and further in alcoholism, their tolerance increases, so they have to increase their intake to satiate their cravings. Many people actually end up losing taste for one type of alcohol and start to experiment with different drinks that have higher alcohol content. And so over time, there really wasn't a choice drink for me. By the time I was knee deep in alcoholism, whatever it was that could give me a rush, whether it was brewed legally or illicitly, I didn't care. Whatever it was that could give me a rush, was what was available for me to take. Question number three, what was your most dangerous experience while intoxicated? Well, on two occasions, I actually almost lost my life while I was drunk. On one occasion, I got so drunk and I woke up in a room where there was a gentleman who I did not recognize and I had been drinking for three days straight. And long story short, this man, as I tried to escape from the room, this guy put his arm around my neck and began to choke me. And you know how they say when your life flashes before your eyes, right before you die, it actually happens. I did experience that. But long story short, he had compassion on me. And by the Lord's grace and mercy, he was able to just sit me down and explain to me how I ended up in that position. And it turns out that I was so drunk the night before I had been invited to a place to DJ. And while I was DJing, I passed out at the deck's and so he took me home and in that that's where we found ourselves in that situation and even when i left that place in my intoxicated state i went straight for another house party to drink in this time i was on a drinking spree because i had just gotten the news that my eldest brother in the uk had passed and so this was a time when i was homeless on the streets and for me this was like the last blow i had been homeless for three years at this point and I just gave up on life. And I said, if this could happen to my mom, if this could happen to my brother, I believe that I'm the next. And so I really tried to drink myself out of life. But God had other plans for me. When I went to the house party, this was the second encounter where I almost lost my life. I happened to slice my right leg open on a glass table that was in this house and I couldn't feel anything because I was so euphoric and all I could do was just look down and my leg was sliced right open. All I could see was white meat and the next thing I saw was blood just pouring out and a pool of blood just following me. I still couldn't feel a single thing because I was super intoxicated and of course they took me for medical attention to the pharmacy next door and I had my leg dressed. However, my point is 
alcoholism leads you to make decisions that are not really the best in life. And I did hear somebody once say that alcohol is truly the bottled killer. The World Health Organization actually estimated alcohol kills about 3 million people throughout the world every year, okay? That's like about one in every 20 deaths worldwide. It's usually resulted in alcohol-related diseases, in injuries, in accidents, in murders, or even suicides. And so probably the most dangerous experience for me was those two experiences, and it's just by God's grace and mercy that I am alive. There are so many other incidences where I put myself in situations that did endanger my life. And it's only by God's grace that I'm still here. Question number four. Who did you hurt the most as an alcoholic? Well, I do know that there are so many people that I hurt. I hurt family members. I hurt friends. I hurt colleagues because of the selfishness that comes with alcoholism you know you'll do anything and sacrifice anything in order to get your fix or to get your high it doesn't matter who you hurt in the process however in hindsight and in retrospect I do now understand that the person that I hurt the most was myself I gave up on the ambitious dreamer that I was right from my childhood I wasted 15 years of my life which right now seems like a blessing, not just to me, but to many people around me, because I'm now able to help people and restore hope in them by using my story. And it was only after making the commitment to get sober that I began to focus on resurrecting the dreams and the passions that I had, things like writing, things like reading, creating, pursuing a career in radio and acting as well. It really was just turning my pain into power that I was able to just take my power back and live a purposeful life. And regardless of my past, I really am so proud of the woman that God is molding me to be for him. Question number five. What did alcoholism destroy forever in your life? As I said before, addiction is a very selfish disease where you place your desire to satiate your drinking regardless of how it affects the people around you. And I do understand now that there are some relationships in my life that I cannot get back or fix simply because of what I did back then to satisfy my habit. I used to borrow money, which I never paid back. And I had just become a general nuisance in my circles at home to my family members, to my friends. Friends really did not want to associate with me anymore. Colleagues at work. It was a mess. It really was a mess. But I am grateful for those who knew me back then and who have gotten in touch since. But even then, I've come to understand that even after doing all the necessary inner work of forgiving yourself and coming to terms with your past, you don't get to choose how your you know, behavior and how your actions affected people. Forgive yourself. If there's anybody who hurt you in the process, forgive them as well. Let it be and move on with becoming a better you for you and also to fulfill whatever purpose it is that God has called you to do. Question number six. I am a recovering alcoholic, but I am struggling to socialize while I am sober. What can I do? Now, it's very normal to feel the need to isolate while you're on your recovery journey, simply because of shame, guilt, and condemnation that comes with the clarity of seeing your life before you. And it really makes us believe that people don't understand us or nobody knows what we're going through. And so we tend to want to keep to ourselves. 
However, it's very important to have a community around you, especially when you are on your recovery journey. And if you are listening to this and you feel this way, I am happy to tell you that there are different community groups that are comprised of people who they too are on the same journey of recovery as you are. They can relate to you and your experiences, what you've been through, and they're open to loving you back to wellness. So you too can love yourself back to wellness. So do go ahead and do your due diligence. Go ahead and go on the internet and look up community groups for alcoholics that are within your area and become attached to that group. Question number seven. Hi, Che. I overcame alcohol and cocaine addiction, but I still have a habit of smoking cigarettes. Any help? Wow. First of all, congratulations on beating alcohol and cocaine. That is such a feat. And I do understand that cigarettes can be very notorious. I do remember towards the end of my alcoholism journey, I had come to the point of smoking about a pack and a half a day when I could afford it. And I do know that nicotine is a very notoriously addictive substance. Even after I stopped drinking, the cigarettes did stay for a while. However, because I had now become a social smoker, I used to smoke because it was a complementary for my drinking. It used to accelerate the high that I had. When I stopped drinking, eventually the cigarettes fell off by themselves. However, my situation may not be your situation. And so what I can tell you is the first step is to identify the reason as to why you are smoking. Are there any particular triggers that are causing you to still smoke? Are there any emotions? Is it people that you're hanging around? Is it the places that you're in? And what you need to do is to work towards eliminating these things from the equation. The second thing is to distract yourself. The only way to break one habit is to replace it with another habit. And unfortunately, for alcoholics or even people who are struggling with other compulsive disorders, whenever they want to break one habit, they replace it with another destructive habit using another substance to replace the substance that they're dropping and they end up in cross-addiction. However, look for a healthy habit. Look for a healthy thing that you can replace the smoking with that every time you're triggered to reach for nicotine or to reach to smoke distract yourself with a hobby distract yourself with something it could be reading writing it could be doing something whatever it is that you like and that's definitely going to be a very key step in helping you drop cigarettes from your life question number eight do you think alcohol should be banned yes 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 Alcohol's harmful qualities actually outweigh what has been perceived as its benefits. And for somebody who has experienced firsthand the negative effects of alcohol, the adverse negative effects of alcohol, it's quite heartbreaking to see how selfish gain and capitalism has allowed such a harmful substance to be celebrated and woven into our social and cultural fabric, in our movies, in our music, etc. It's everywhere. And there's not enough attention being called to the short and long-term effects. Each and every one of us knows either an alcoholic or an addict or somebody who has struggled with alcoholism. We don't need any more stories. We don't need any more testimonies. We do know the effect and the long-term effect of alcoholism in our society. 
I do applaud those who are actively pushing for stronger legal frameworks around its production, around its marketing and its distribution, you know, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. However, I do stand with the notion that alcohol should not just be regulated, but it should be banned. And that is all I have to say about that. Question number nine. Does God care about my sobriety? Now, it's impossible for me to share my story or to speak to anybody without highlighting how paramount the need to build a strong spiritual foundation is in your healing or your recovery journey. And developing a relationship with God blew open the doors of healing for me through primarily understanding one thing, forgiveness and love. During this time, it was 2020, it was the lockdown. This is when I began my recovery journey. This is when God found me in that four walls, which I could not come out of. It was just me and my thoughts. And it really was a battle. It was a mental battle because I had no access to alcohol. I had no access to cigarettes. It was just me and my thoughts in that moment. And I do remember this is the time that God was dealing with me and dealing with all the emotional scars that I had masked over the years using alcohol. And he brought me to a place of clarity where I had to feel each and everything that I needed to heal. And I do remember during prayer, prayer is a very deep means of connection with God, where you just develop intimacy and have an outlet to pour to God, whatever it is that you're dealing with, without any shame, without any approach. And also through reading the Bible, I got to understand what God's will for my life is, that God didn't want me to destroy myself. God didn't want anything to hold me captive. And actually one of the scriptures that I love so much in the book of Matthew, where he says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. God just doesn't care about your sobriety. God cares about your freedom. God just doesn't want you to put down the bottle. God wants to heal every broken fragment that is within you that is causing you to pick up the bottle. And so reading the word was a very good way for me to just understand what it is that God wanted for me and what I needed to want for myself to live a better life. I do remember the YouVersion app came in very handy with the daily devotionals and also watching different teachings on YouTube, just getting to understand that I am loved and I am forgiven and I did not need to treat myself in a certain way to destroy myself. And, you know, if you are able to find a spirit-filled community like a fellowship or a church to help you on your recovery journey, then do go ahead and do that. It will be very paramount and very good for your recovery journey. So if you're wondering if God cares about your sobriety, yes, God cares about your sobriety. God cares about your freedom. God cares about each and every aspect of your life. Question number 10. What advice do you give to someone who is struggling with alcoholism? First of all, I'm going to start by saying alcoholics don't listen to advice. Alcoholics listen to consequences. And the first step in your recovery journey as an alcoholic is acknowledgement. Whatever is not acknowledged cannot be addressed. And one of the reasons why many people actually prolong their recovery journey is because they end up justifying their habit or justifying the vice that is alcoholism instead of acknowledging the harm and the negative effects that it is producing in their lives. And so 
the first step is acknowledgement that they are actually struggling with something. The next step is actually seeking help that you need. Self-help is very dangerous when you're dealing with a compulsive disorder like alcoholism and any professional would immediately denounce it. Alcoholics don't just suffer from physical effects of alcoholism. They also have to deal with emotional scars, things that caused them to turn to alcohol in the first place. And in order for them to start walking the path of recovery, alcoholics need to understand why they began abusing alcohol in the first place. And this is often very difficult to do without an outside party. Unfortunately, there is no one-size-fits-all solution for alcoholism, and what may work for one person may not be a good fit for someone else because of the different effects or however long the person has been using alcohol. And so the effects might be different at whatever stage in alcoholism that they are. And simply understanding that different options available can be a very important step. Do consider enrolling into a rehabilitation center or 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous. All these provide peer support for people who are quitting their drinking. And just as we wind up, we have a bonus question, which I found very intriguing. And I feel I do need to address this because it is a very common question. Here is the bonus question. Alcohol is sour. What keeps people hooked? Now, just before I jump into the explanation for this, because it's very scientific and we need to know that as human beings, whatever is rewarded is repeated. Any behavior that we engage in that rewards us is something that we do repeatedly. That's why you wake up every day to go to work because you're assured that at the end of the month, you're going to have a payment that feeds you, that pays you, or that gets your bills sorted. Now, the brain's reward system operates with a chemical called dopamine, which is also known as the pleasure chemical. And this chemical is released whenever we engage in activities that make us, you know, feel happy or feel relaxed. That's why when you're having a bad day, you go and look for comfort food or you go shopping or you work out because these things release dopamine in your brain and make you feel good. Alcohol as a substance has an unusually powerful effect on dopamine activity in the brain. And that's why alcoholism is known as a very popular stress coping mechanism. Whenever we drink, the brain's reward circuits get flooded with dopamine. And even while drinking boosts a person's dopamine levels, the brain starts to adapt to the dopamine overload when you continue alcohol use. However, the more you use alcohol, the less of dopamine starts to be produced. And so as dopamine levels reduce, people with alcoholism or alcohol addiction issues start to consume even more alcohol in an unconscious effort to boost their dopamine levels because they're trying to get that spark back. And so it's a very vicious cycle that lays the perfect groundwork for addictions, be it for alcoholism or even for any other compulsive disorders. So the next time you see someone drinking alcohol, it's never for the taste, but it's a certain work that their brain is trying to achieve in order to get a certain feeling to achieve something. People are not drinking for the taste of alcohol. People are drinking for the pleasurable feeling and the experience that alcohol brings them. 
And that's it for the 10 questions. Thank you to each and every person who submitted the inquiries. If you did appreciate this episode, do consider buying a copy of my book, Woman Fire Grace, which chronicles my own story of my 15-year struggle with alcoholism and how I broke free. To order your copy today, go ahead and click the link in the description box below. Also, if you are on your alcoholism recovery journey and need some encouragement or guidance, go ahead and book your free recovery coaching consultation with me in the link in the description box as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee First. I want to hear from you. If anything stood out for you from this episode, go ahead and leave a comment, like the video, and if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also keep up with all the episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.